morning to you. Morning. As I was um, earlier, Jess and I were talking and looking at all the songs that the band and our worship team would be singing and playing this morning, and it was uh, another song or two more than normal, and he said, well, John, I don't know when you're going to preach. I said, well, if you saw my notes, you'd say, I don't know when you're all going to sing. So I hope your crop pots are set to low and your plans are loose. Only mostly kidding. Well, good morning, and I invite you to turn me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15. Today is Resurrection Sunday, as we like to call it at North Hills. Uh, Easter, if you say Happy Easter, it's okay. You won't be kicked out, and you won't be judged or scorned. Uh, But it is about resurrection, and uh, Easter has become such a uh, commercialized uh, name and event But it is Resurrection Sunday, the Sunday that we celebrate as the corporate church, uh, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it is a it's a great day. Amen. An exciting day and a day that we get to sing about Christ. And we do this every Sunday and we look at the gospel every Sunday and we celebrate the resurrection to a degree every Sunday. But today is a day that we get to set aside and celebrate Jesus Christ, his death his burial, and his resurrection. Um, it's good to have uh, Easter. It's good to have the resurrection. Yeah, I said it right there. Uh, it's good to have Resurrection Sunday. It's good to have a day, a weekend, a week, you know, because last Sunday was Palm Sunday. We began thinking about and celebrating um, and just kind of resting in all that Christ has done this past week leading up to the crucifixion uh, on Friday and the resurrection today. And so it's good to have this weekend to remember. And as we'll see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's exactly what Paul is doing. He is reminding the church. He's reminding the people of the gospel. And I don't know about you, we need reminders. I'm a reminder-driven guy. I have so many apps on my phone and devices. I have reminder apps that remind me about the reminder apps that I have to remind me of things. And, uh, you know, we have... All kind of things in our life, right, that remind us and we celebrate. Uh, We have birthdays. We actually have two birthdays today. Miss J.D. Underwood's birthday today and Miss Caroline Cavan have birthdays today. And we like Caroline and J.D. every day, right? But it's one day you get to celebrate and think about them. And so we understand uh, having days set aside to celebrate. Uh, Holidays coming up is Memorial Day, and we'll set that time aside. And so... Uh, so it's important that we have days and, uh, and events set aside throughout the year to remember certain things. And there's nothing more important to remember than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, than the power of the gospel. And so we unashamedly celebrate the resurrection this morning. Uh, if you're new to North Hills, you may not be as familiar with 1 Corinthians 15, but several years ago, we just went ahead and adopted 1 Corinthians 15 as our Resurrection Sunday passage. So if you come back next year, whatever day Easter falls on, 2022, guess what I'm going to ask you to turn to? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There are a lot of passages in, uh, in Scripture that point us to the resurrection and point us to the gospel. But we just love, at North Hills, we love 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so this is where we are this morning, as we were last year, and I believe the past four years. And so uh, if you have those Bibles, you've already turned there. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read different parts of it. Uh, but let's begin in the first couple of verses here. 
So 1 Corinthians 15, 1 says, this is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this morning. Thank You for this opportunity that we can open Your Word and that we can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We can turn to this reminder of the power of the gospel. That we can be reminded this morning of the power and of the hope and of the necessity of the resurrection. So as we read your word this morning, as you proclaim your word to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that we would have ears to hear. And I pray that we would receive and respond to your word through the power of your spirit. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So as, we, if you, as we'll continue to some degree in uh, chapter 15 this morning, you'll see throughout 15, Paul hones in on the resurrection of Jesus. It is clearly, uh, it is clear that Roman, that 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection of Jesus. And we'll continue in these uh, verses a little bit later on. But he is reminding them of this gospel. And the gospel is not the gospel without the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection was something that he needed to speak to the church about here in Corinthians and to the church of Corinth. Because the resurrection was something that was not held. It was refuted. It was rejected by the, cult, by the Greek culture during this time. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in the resurrection of a body. They thought it was actually freedom to be completely detached and removed from the body. And this is... Uh, not the gospel, as we know that Jesus was resurrected in person. And so he has to remind the church because it seems clear that the church has been influenced by the culture. And we understand this even in our day. It's something we have to watch ourselves and guard ourselves and guard our hearts and guard the pulpit and guard our understanding of the word, that we understand what the word says and not what the world says the word says. And so here is Paul reminding the church Reminding the brothers, the sisters of the gospel, it says there in verse 1. And so it is this gospel that we turn to and look to this morning. It is the gospel that we turn to and look to every single week. It is the gospel that saves God's people. It is the gospel that sustains God's people. The gospel is essential and we and we know and we recognize the gospel has become a buzzword and especially in christian circles and reform circles it's not the gospel everything and not just now but for for decades right with gospel music and gospel conferences and gospel you know fill in the blank so many things that are gospel but the gospel is not a marketing catchphrase the gospel is the good news and what is that good news the death the burial and the resurrection of jesus christ 
And take notice of the gospel here. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. And so what is he going to remind them of? He says, that I preached to you. So we see the gospel was preached in which you received. We see the gospel was received by the people in which you stand. And we see the gospel was foundational for the people of Corinth. And he says, and by which you are being saved. The gospel saves if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you. And the gospel sustains. And so, as he does often in his letters, we see that Paul reminds the people of God. He reminds the church. He reminds, and not even just the true church, he reminds his readers. He reminds his original audience. And not all of them, as we see in the end of verse 2 there, not all of them are even true believers. Unless you believed in vain. And so the gospel is something that is preached. The gospel is something that is received. It is believed. It is foundational to life because it saves us and sustains us. And again, a truth that we hang our hat on often here in North Hills, the gospel is not a one-time event for a believer. It's not just something we look back in our life and say, oh, I was saved at the age of 6 or 16 or 26. I was saved so many years ago. That was the power of the gospel then. I'm so glad I was saved. Now I can go about living my life. But the gospel sustains us. It keeps us. The gospel is the power of God at work. It's the good news that Jesus lived. He died. He was buried. And he was resurrected. And one of the main reasons that we gather as a church, one of the main reasons we exist as North Hills is to proclaim the gospel each and every week to remind each other of the gospel. How many of us need to be reminded of the gospel every week? And not just on Sundays, right? But even every day in our different contexts as we gather in each other's houses and we hang out to remind each other of the power of the gospel that Jesus is enough. And we need to be reminded because we so often forget, do we not? Just we get wrapped up in life, we get wrapped up in our routine and our rhythms and we get wrapped up even in our own flesh. But we need to be reminded of the gospel because for believers, the gospel is everything. For believers, the life, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ is everything. As believers, we want to hear about the gospel. Believers do not grow tired of hearing the gospel preached. Believers do not grow tired of of, of hearing God's word exposed and opened up and pointing to Jesus and the truth of Christ. We do not get tired of hearing the story of redemption. We do not get tired of even seeing the story of redemption played out in the world around us. We want to hear about the gospel. Not only do believers want to hear the gospel, we want to share the gospel. We want to to share the good news of Jesus. We want, like Paul, to remind people. We want to remind our brothers, our sisters. We want to remind our co-workers, our family, our spouses, our children, our moms, our dads, our cousins. We want to remind all of those that God has given us influence in our life. We want them to know the gospel. Because if you have received the gospel and you've received the life-changing grace that Christ brings, and you don't want to share it, then you probably, like some of these Corinthians, have believed in vain. 
Because believers have a desire to share the power of the gospel with others. And that looks different in all kinds of different contexts, but ultimately we have a desire to share the power of Christ with others. We want to hear about it. We want to share it. We want to be confronted by it. Uh-oh, now you're meddling, preacher. I don't want to be confronted with the truth of the gospel. I don't want to be confronted with the words uh, of God. I don't want to be confronted with truth when my life doesn't align with Scripture. And that is true of many people. Right? We want to come to church. We want to, to have this context of Jesus and this understanding of Jesus that does not mess with our life, right? That's the American way. Don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me what I need to do. But as believers, we welcome being challenged and confronted with the truth of the gospel. Doesn't mean it's always comfortable. Is it ever comfortable? Oh, thanks. That felt good. I was living this way. I need to align my life to Christ. But we welcome it. We want it. We want to be confronted by the gospel. Because ultimately, lastly, we want to be conformed by the gospel. And that is ultimately the, the end goal of believers, be to, to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be conformed to the power of the gospel, to be conformed to our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Believers ultimately conform to the gospel because we want to hear it, we want to share it, we want to be confronted by it because we want and need and must be shaped by the gospel. Now, it leads us to the warning that Paul gives here. If you hold fast to the word preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Unless you believed in vain. So there is this very clear warning in our text this morning. This very clear warning in Corinthians 15. This very clear warning that was issued some 2,000 years ago. From Paul, the apostle, this, uh, as he is, is writing, not just that we would read so many years later, but as he is writing to the early church, as he is writing and addressing the church of Corinth, he said, there are some of you who have believed in vain. There is a clear warning here that not all who profess Christ actually possess Christ. That there are many who profess Jesus, but do not possess Jesus. They do not have Him. They have not been redeemed. They have not been saved. We say often in North Hills that there are so many who have a proximity to the things of Christ, but do not have an intimacy with Christ. There are many, as Scripture says, who say, Lord, Lord, but deny Him with their heart. And this is a reality. It is a tragic reality. Because there are clearly those in our culture, more now than maybe ever before, at least in, uh, in recent decades, who clearly reject Jesus. You don't have to go far, right? Used to, in the South, you have to go far. You have to go somewhere outside of the deep South to find those who reject Jesus. That's not the case anymore, right? Every single person in this room knows someone in your school, at your work, in your family, someone in your life, if not lots of someone. If not, it's becoming majority of the people you know, maybe, may actually indeed reject Christ. So there are clearly those people, or people who clearly reject Jesus. But I would say the, the, a lot of the people we know 
those who do not truly know Christ, those who do not possess the treasure who is Jesus, don't outright reject Christ, but they have believed in vain. And please hear me this morning in the spirit of love and truth that there are those who are likely here this morning, that there are those likely who are joining us online today who claim to know Christ, but who are not known by Him. And this is a truth that we cannot just gloss over. This is Paul's warning to the church. This is Paul's warning to us today. This is the warning of the Old Testament. This is the warning that we see throughout Scripture. This is even the warning that we see in the Ten Commandments. It says, do not take the name of God in vain. Which means do not take upon yourself the mantle of Jesus, but reject Him with your heart. And do not confess His Lordship. And do not submit to the sovereignty of God. Do you treasure Christ? Do you joyfully submit to Jesus? Do you feel the weight of your sin? Do you trust in the finished work of Jesus? So, man, John, I just thought I had a Santa card 30 years ago. These, these are like marks of like a really mature Christian, right? No. These are the marks of anyone who has been born again. Anyone who has truly received Christ. Because here's the thing. Whenever we become Christian, if you will, whenever we are saved, whenever we are born again, we don't just become better versions of ourselves. We don't just say, okay, I'm going to make a decision. Now I'm going to live a better life. But we go from death to life. And this is the picture of the resurrection, right? As we have baptisms a couple weeks ago, and we'll hopefully have one next week, as we see the, the act of baptism is a picture of dying to oneself and being raised up. And so to go from death to life, to go from being eternally damned to having eternal life, from, from going from being empty to being full of the Spirit, then these things are true of the believer. We treasure Christ. We joyfully submit to Him. We feel the weight of our sin. We feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, we trust in the finished work of Jesus. That we don't trust in our own ability to follow. We don't trust in our own righteousness. We trust in Jesus. And so the warning is, unless you believed in vain. And so my, my warning is the same as Paul's. Is do not believe in vain. Do not walk in this life. Do not even leave this place this morning. If these things are not true of you. Do not trust in an experience that happened so long ago that is detached from your reality today. If you are not treasuring and trusting Christ, you may have believed in vain. And so what is this gospel that he has preached? What is this gospel that he is pointing us to? He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, primary importance, Paul has delivered a lot of stuff, right? As a preacher, as a teacher, as a writer, as an author, he's written so many books, so many letters. But he said, the first importance, what I've delivered to you is this, is what I've also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scriptures, and that He 
was buried and that he was raised on the third day again in accordance with scripture and he goes on to give kind of a resume here of those who experienced the resurrection of jesus so this message this gospel message this pointing to the resurrection of jesus it is of first importance and it's still true for us today that the gospel It's the most important message that you'll ever receive and respond to. And every single person, if you've never heard the gospel before this morning, every single person will hear the gospel and every single person will respond to the gospel. You either respond in belief and repentance or you respond in rejection. The gospel is the most important message you'll ever hear. There is no greater truth. And then Paul goes on to give these three components of the gospel, if you will. So he died. Verse 3. First importance I also receive that Christ died for our sins. Go with me, if you will, real quick to Isaiah. In the Old Testament, kind of go halfway to your Bible and turn right a little bit. Right before Jeremiah, Isaiah chapter 53. Let's read a little bit of this. may read all of it. We'll see. Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. Of course, this is pointing to the Messiah. It's pointing to Christ, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. He was not esteemed. Surely he was born. He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet he esteemed. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray and have turned. Everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as far as his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit found in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall uh, prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. 
transgressors. Christ died. And He didn't die a simple death. And it wasn't even the weight of the crucifixion that we could talk about for so long. And, and, and so many have, have, have done a, a wonderful job of, of pointing this picture of the just painful physical death that Christ endured. But despite the horrific reality of the Roman crucifixion, this wasn't the worst. The physical torment is not why Jesus prayed in the garden. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. It's that he was crushed by the Father. It's that he took on all the sins of his people in that moment and and interceded became our propitiation. He took all our iniquity, all of it, and died for us, for all of those who would look to Him in faith and repentance. This helped me years ago think through this a little bit, just internalize it. So imagine for a moment, if you will, the last time that you knowingly sinned, the last time that you felt the weight of your sin. I, mean, I know often we sin and, and we, we think about it and we recall it and we, we bring it to the Lord and we know He's forgiven us. And as for believers, this is one of the greatest hopes, right? There's no sin that ever separates from the love of God. And there is no sin that God has not already forgiven. He has fully forgiven all of our sins. So don't mishear me. But as believers, as we said earlier, we feel the weight of our sin. So I'm sorry for a, a bad Uh, exercise here but think about your sin your last sin that you can remember that just really brought you conviction you said this is not honoring to the lord think on that for a moment when you failed to honor christ in either word or deed and think about how that felt think about the weight of that sin on you as a believer someone who is trusting the lord and that one sin now think for a moment If you could take all of your sins, just your sins, from your life, all the things you've committed, all the things you've done against God, all the transgressions that have happened in your life, and imagine if you could feel those for a moment. If you could feel the weight of your own sin. Think about how unbearable that would be. Now think about Christ and all of His sins for all of His people throughout all of humanity. On the cross, He endured he felt that weight he was crushed by that weight we couldn't bear it but we would deserve it and christ who does not deserve it bore it for us this is the power of the gospel that christ has taken all the sins of his people throughout all of history and then for a moment became the vilest sinner. And as we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. We call this the great exchange. And through the cross, Christ exchanged His righteousness for our sinfulness. So let us this morning, let us remember the death of Christ. Secondly, let us remember that Christ was buried. 
that Christ was buried. Not only did Christ die, but Christ was buried. Have you ever wondered why the, the burial of Jesus is included with such emphasis in the gospel? Have you ever thought about that for a moment? His death, we understand, and I mean, to a degree, we, we talk about that often in the church. His resurrection, we understand how triumphant it is, but his burial can even last long, right? Didn't have to buy a tomb, just rent one. I'm not going to need it for long. In three days, I'm going to be gone. But why so much emphasis on the burial of Jesus? And the reason of the, the, the burial of Christ is so important is that it emphasizes that he truly died. He truly died. It was the end of his physical life, and he was buried. He was put away. There is a sense of finality there in the normal course of humanity. And when someone dies, they are buried. And there is no coming back from that. And Jesus didn't just pay for our sins and disappear into heaven. But he, he died. He was crucified and he was buried. He didn't go to hell for a few days to preach a revival. His burial was also the beginning of his exaltation. I love this, this aspect of his burial. That he was buried in the tomb. And even, even uh, it, it prophesies that in uh, Isaiah chapter 53. That he was buried in the tomb of a rich man. He was buried in the tomb of a rich man. And thus began his exaltation. That he's gone from this lowly estate his whole earthly life. When he was born in Bethlehem. And, and never, never had a, a place to lay his head, he says. But now in his death, in his burial, he is buried in this extravagant tomb, if you will, by this, this, who's owned by this rich man. So we see the beginning of his exaltation. In John 19, verses 41 through 42, it says, In the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in that garden, a new, to, a new tomb, in which no one had been yet laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close to hand, they laid Jesus there. And Matthew Henry says it well as he often does. He says, In the Garden of Eden, death and the grave first received their power. So you think about that. The Garden of Eden, the very beginning of humanity. That's where death and the grave received their power as death entered into the world. In this Garden of Eden. And now in a garden... They are conquered, disarmed, and triumphed over. So the burial of Jesus in this garden shows us that He is about to conquer death. In a garden, Christ began His passion. And from a garden, He would rise and begin His exaltation. So as we think about the gospel, we remember that Christ died. We remember that He was buried. It showed this sense of finality. That every one of us one day will lay in a grave. Every single one. None of us expect it to be anytime soon, right? We expect to live to be old and cranky individuals. But we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised next year. All of us will meet the grave. We'll meet what seems to be the final chapter of our life. But for none of us it is. Either we will go on to live with eternal life or eternal death. So we remember that Christ died. We remember that Christ was buried. And lastly, we remember that Christ raised, was raised. He was resurrected. 
Not only is Easter a time to reflect on the death and burial of Christ, but today we celebrate His resurrection from the grave. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's pick back up in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If you read through 1 Corinthians 15 here, all of the chapter, you'll see this word vain constantly. He says, if, if, so if Christ is not, if his resurrection is not true, it's vanity. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it is true, the dead are not raised. And so you see that Paul is making this clear argument for the, the reality of the resurrection. For the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So how important is the resurrection of Jesus? That if he wasn't resurrected, we are still in our sins and we have no hope. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And verse 19 is kind of flies in the face of some some modern day logic if you will if in christ we have hope in this life only we are people to be most pitied i've heard often in my life that well if i'm wrong i've at least lived a good life well scripture says if we're wrong we're people to be most pitied And we're not wrong as we look at jesus and his life his burial his death his resurrection but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a a man came death. By Adam. Death entered the world through Adam. So thanks to Adam. Thanks to sin. He said, well, thank you, Adam. Well, just us too, right? If it wasn't Adam, it would be us. But death entered through one man. By a man who is Christ. Also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And this is such a central tenet of our faith. Every human being ever, every man or woman who's ever been born, every child who has ever come into this world is a child of Adam. They are in Adam. They are a human being. They are descendant of Adam. They are in Adam. Every person in this room, every person who's listening online, every person you encounter is in Adam and will die. But those who are in Christ, those who have looked to Jesus, those who are His, those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Him are in Christ. Not everyone is in Christ. Only those who have looked to Him and trusted Him and confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart in Christ will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And this is ultimately the end that we see even in Revelation. 
is that Christ shows up and wins. He defeats death. He defeats sin. He defeats pain and suffering. He defeats everything. And He takes His people, those who are in Him, home for eternity. And He does this because He was resurrected. He does this because He did not stay in the grave. He does this because death did not win, but Christ won. The resurrection of Christ is the absolute greatest hope of the believer. All claims of Jesus rest on His resurrection. Our salvation rests on the resurrection of Jesus. Our future eternity, our own bodily resurrection rests on His resurrection. And so this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, as we celebrate Easter, let us remember the resurrection of Jesus. Let us remember the burial of Jesus. Let us remember the death of Jesus. For it is the power of God through the gospel of Christ that takes us from death to life. And to those who have rejected Jesus up to this point in your life, whether you're here in person or joining us virtually, to you I would say repent and believe. Trust in Christ. Look to Jesus in faith. Repent of your sins. Trust in Christ for what He has done on the cross and what He offers all who would come to Him. We always talk about the people of God. We say, who are the people of God? All of those who come to Christ because He bids us come. So this morning, if you hear this gospel message, if you hear this call to look to Jesus and be saved, and if that stirs something inside of you, to say, you know, I've never done that. I've never truly looked to Jesus. I'm not possessed by Jesus. Then look to Him in faith this morning. And He will save. To those who have looked to Jesus and believed in vain. And I'm convinced for years and years and still to this day that one of the hardest mission fields in all the world is to a people who have believed in vain. To a people, to a culture to think that they are saved. And this is not about some secret knowledge. It's not about, okay, if you think you're saved and you don't understand this about the Bible, then you're not saved. It's not about if you don't believe exactly like I believe, then you're not saved. It's not about some intellectual ascent and some place that you arrive academically. But if you've never truly surrendered to Christ, if you've never submitted to His Lordship, if you do not treasure Jesus, And that's just a very simple barometer right there. If you don't treasure Christ, if you don't think on Jesus and are moved to joy, if you don't think on Jesus, think about how He uh, changes every aspect of your life, then you may be at risk of believing in vain. And so to those who believed in vain, I encourage you to admit that you've never truly trusted or desired Christ. Admit that you are still a sinner in need of a Savior. Truly turn to Jesus and trust in Him. Today can be the first day of the rest of your life.
and to the church, to those who have truly looked to Christ, who have been saved. As we think about this Resurrection Sunday, I pray that we are reminded of what Christ has done for us. That we are reminded of the power of the Gospel. Of the hope that we have in Christ. In His death, in His burial, and in His resurrection. As we come to the Lord's table in just a moment. That we remember Christ. That we remember His broken body. Remember His suffering. Remember His crucifixion. Remember His death. And we remember the blood that was shed for us that is the payment for all of our sins, for those who look to Him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for this morning again. I thank You for an opportunity to open Your Word, to remember Christ, to think on Christ, to treasure Christ. We thank You, Lord, for this Resurrection Sunday that we can gather. And I pray now, Lord, as we sing and as we have an opportunity to respond to your word, I pray that we do so in faith. And wherever we are, each individually, that we would respond to you. And that by your spirit, you would have your way with us. Lord, as we have an opportunity to come to the communion table in a moment, that we do so with hearts that are glad hearts that are joyful for all that you've done for us. So we have a chance to give this morning, Lord, that we do so with joyful hearts, not out of compulsion. As we leave this place, that we do so with joy on our faces. That we do so with a desire to share the power of the resurrection with those around us. So we entrust the rest of this service to you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.